Honey, it's our favorite time of year, and I got you something to celebrate. <gasps> a McRib? It's just what I wanted. Happy McRib season, sweetie. Mm, I love you. I love you, too. Mm. Actually, I was talking to my McRib. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll leave you two alone. Right now, enjoy a McRib meal and get another tasty McRib sandwich for just a dollar. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Whataburger has been making breakfast for almost 40 years and burgers for almost 70 years. So making a breakfast burger with fresh 100% beef, a hand-cracked egg, bacon, cheese, hash browns, and our creamy pepper sauce seems kind of obvious, right? Of course it does. Now. Good thing there's the new limited-time breakfast burger. Served 11 p.m. to 11 a.m. at Whataburger. to ghosts, demons to angels, and from shadow people to the outlandish, Heidi Hollis is the Outlander. Welcome, welcome everybody to my awesome Monday evening. You are listening to me, Heidi Hollis, the Outlander. Welcome to the show. I don't know if you can hear it on my voice, but I'm a little bit sick today. Ooh, I don't know if it's a flu, tonsillitis, a cold. I don't know. It's cooties. That's how I'm classifying it. That's that's just where I'm gonna rest it. Um, so, <laughs> so bear with me if I go into a coughing fit. I have coffee, and I've got tea, and I've got some cough syrup. And I've got a whole bunch of stuff lined up right next to me to get it through this show. All right. So I got to tell you guys what you're listening to, who you're listening to, and why. <laughs> I don't know if you know, because I don't. Not every time. Um, so anyways, <laughs> who am I? I don't know. Uh, but when it comes to the outlandish, I'm someone who has been there, seen that, experienced it, freaked out. Mm-hmm. Found some answers, wrote about it, got over it, and now I'm hoping to help others do the same darn thing to understand this kooky, crazy world of ours. I say that this show is about bringing outlandish and interesting topics to the forefront, from aliens, angels, ghosts, demons, holy encounters, shadow people, to Bigfoot, to the outlandish. Oh, I say if it's weird, we're here, and now you are too, so guess what? You're among friends. Isn't that cool? 
oh, you guys are in for a treat today. You have no idea. This is going to be a fun, fun show. Three guests are going to be coming on. Three guests. What could it be about? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's about an industry of entertainment. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. So anyways, I want to welcome you guys to go to my main website, which is HeidiHollis.com. Right there, you are going to be able to experience things that my own parents have no clue about. My family, my siblings, friends. Oh, my friends. (laughs) They're terrified of me, but it's okay. (laughs) I'm not kidding. They are. Um, I have limits on conversations. This is the life of a paranormal person. Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, I want to tell you guys how you hear this program. You can go to uprntalkradio.com and 107.7 FM. And um, yeah, I want to welcome you guys to also feel free to call into this program. Though I know most of you listen to this show whenever the heck you feel like it. So that means podcasts via what? Archives. Yes, we have the archives. They are all on uprntalkradio.com. But I'm going to give the number anyways. Don't be bashful. 504-273-7379. But again, I know most of you are listening to this show when it is over. But it's okay. I forgive you. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So anyways, like I always enjoy the most, and like I did last week, my guest did not appear. He was in Brazil. Had something happen. I don't know. Something happened. Um, so it, these things happen. So I did a whole show on my favorite topic, which is getting to all your comments and questions and experiences by email. And uh, wow, I'm always humbled when I get to your emails, and um, they always blow me away. I, I'm never, I never know what to expect. And wow, if you didn't hear the show, my last show, um, I mean, just just unbelievable. Unbelievable. So check it out for sure. Okie dokie. Um, here we go. Uh, I'm going to go to your emails or what I call the outlandish corner. Mm-hmm. Answering your comments and questions and all your wackadoodle stories involving the paranormal. And because I named and defined two of the most popular paranormal topics out there today, which are shadow people and the hat man. I tend to get most of my emails on that topic, or those topics, I should say. So feel free to write me through my main website, again, HeidiHollis.com, or DustOutlander at gmail.com. Go to Facebook, send me messages, Twitter, and just at one, Heidi Hollis, put a number one. Instagram, all that stuff. Just put a one in front of my name. Even Facebook, oh, one in front of my name, because there are others out there, and so I have to put that as a one there's only one of me okay so anyways we are going to the first email what is this one okay hello Heidi I was shocked to see this topic pop up on my Facebook feed your research into the hat man Mm, I saw him as a child I'd only like to use my first name if you ever mention it or use it I lived in Toronto at the time when I was young. My family lived in a wonderful, large, old home that was built in 1901. It sat and overlooked a ravine. I don't think the house was haunted, but it was creepy at times. 
As a child, I played around my house, as most kids would in the 1970s and 80s, exploring all its nooks and crannies. Not an old house, you wouldn't catch me. Nope. Uh-uh. Uh, my Hatman experiences, I thought, I thought, were my imagination for a long time. And I never told anyone about them, except for my mom, when I was a child. Until a few years ago. I told my middle sister about my sightings of him. And to my utter surprise, she saw him too and never told anyone either. Ugh. Later, I asked my other elder sister. <laughs> I had to say old sister. Ugh. I'm, I'm the youngest, uh, second youngest, I should say, out of six sisters. So I feel you. I feel you. Um, eldest sister. And again, to my surprise, she also saw him. Oh, no, this is a pattern. I only saw him a few times and just for a second each time. That's all it takes, really. Um, I always saw him in my house and never outside. He was a dark figure with a rimmed hat and some sort of cloak. Kind of like a shadow, but not really. He would appear out of the corner of my eye and I would turn and look to see who was there. And then he was gone. One day, I remember walking past my stairs on the second floor, and as I glanced down them, I saw him in my foyer. My foyer at this house was almost near painted white, so seeing a dark figure there would have stood out. <laughs> no, you think? I think so. As I took a second look, he was gone. He never had an evil presence, though. But it was creepy. I told my mom one day, and she didn't say much that I remember. Sadly, she is no longer with us, so I can't ask her thoughts on this and what I had told her then. As I got my older, uh, as I got my older, what is that? Okay, never mind. Sometimes people write these emails and psh, I just try to fill in the blanks if I see a word missing. But as I got older into my preteens, I never saw him again. Anyway, that is so incredibly fascinating and amazing that others have seen him too. And apparently, he wasn't just in my imagination. So weird. I'm glad my experiences were not evil or scary. Thanks for reading my story. All the best, Vicky. Well, Vicky, I don't see how that wasn't scary or evil. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, you saw this thing, and I, I mean, I don't know how to explain this to people, but it's like your whole sense of reality can really flip on its ear when you are seeing something so out of left field and so out of what you know to be the usual. I mean, it, it really sets you off. I have had so many people write me over the years in the thousands, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not kidding. I was on some TV show that uh, they asked me, well, Ms. Hollis, how many uh, of these stories have you received over the years? I did not hesitate, mind you. Did not. I said, thousands and thousands so during the show when I watched the show back Miss Hollis has investigated dozens and dozens I'm like dozens and dozens in a in a month I mean <laughs> what are they talking about I have been doing this for 20 years people I'm not just a flash in the pan my gosh I couldn't believe it but yeah dozens and dozens I'm like they really dubbed that because they didn't believe it that's pretty messed up, isn't it? It's like a paranormal show that doesn't believe there could be thousands of reports from around the world where there are 
probably Google thousands. So yeah, I don't know what they're thinking. Um, so <laughs> anywho, I believe the first time they went on coast to coast, I got over a thousand emails. So blew that the first day. <laughs> Cuckoo-cuckoo, whatever. Um, so anyways, moving on. Um, but yeah, so you, um, Vicki, we were talking about your 1970s and 80s exploring your house and coming across a hat man. You know, a lot of people, I've had folks that talked about 50s and the 40s having seen this guy um, and having like almost, I don't know, historical stories of this guy appearing and disappearing and just uh, absolutely just horrific. I mean, I would be scared. I don't know how this doesn't come off as being creepy, spooky, or evil. Um, I've had people just not, not, not as many as you would think, <clears throat> but not many people um, who would say, oh, maybe he's my guardian. Because I didn't feel anything evil from him. It's, it's so wild. I just don't get it. It's like people feel if uh, they weren't scared, it wasn't evil. Or maybe he wasn't evil because they didn't feel it. Well, that's not um, that's not a telltale uh, uh, definition of who he is and what he generally does. I don't know when, but eventually he tries to step up his infiltration of a person's personal space. And uh, he will become threatening. He will haunt your dreams. He will get to the point of choking you out, paralyzing you. Um, and you might feel a little bit evil coming from him. I don't know. But if you're seeing him at a distance, I mean, I guess, you know, you don't feel like, oh, he's not evil. He's just kind of horrific to be there. Uh, so, um, I guess. And, you know, for those of you who do not know what the hat man is, this is a, this is a creature that I, I named called, um, I originally called Hat Man uh, Shadow. So, I called him a shadow just because he did seem to sit in the dark, but then he would step out of the dark and you could see a definition. You could see he was wearing a three-piece suit, trench coat or cape, different types of hat. Sometimes if you saw his skin, now this is interesting. If you see his skin, you could generally see his eyes and his eyes are solid black. If he's in the shadows, if he shows his eyes, they are glowing red, usually. But I have had people who've told me that he can have those red glowing eyes when he's solid as well. Sometimes he's clean shaven, sometimes he's not. So he mixes it up a little bit, but not a whole heck of a lot if it's the hat man. Um, sometimes he wears a top hat, sometimes a cowboy hat, sometimes no hat at all. But if you feel, if you see his presence, you will know it and there'll be no doubts. But isn't this interesting? I still get emails like this all the time where people are like, they're shocked that somebody else has experienced this. They thought, my imagination, it's my eyes playing tricks on me. It's like, hold on, do, do you drive to work every day? Well, yeah. Do your, do your eyes play tricks on you? Do you drive to work? Mm, no. Oh, well, how come when it comes to the paranormal, suddenly those eyes are so tricky, they're trying to fool you? <sighs> Only when it comes to the paranormal. I don't know where we went wrong in convincing people that our eyes can suddenly roll the dice. <laughs> but it happens. This is being influenced this way. It happens that way. Okay, so anyways, going on to the next email. Dear Heidi, I just watched some of the YouTube videos of you speaking about the hat man. Well, I am 48 years old. I was born and raised in Texas. I now live in Iowa. 
My father was from North Dakota. When I was six years old, my mother and her mom, my sister, and I traveled to North Dakota, and there is an eight years difference in age between my sister and I, she being the oldest. We were going to see my mom's sister, who had married my dad's brother, and I would be meeting my dad's family for the very first time. Well, one day, my sister, my cousin, and a foster uncle all went on a walk. I got split from the group. I thought they had ditched me. Never being there before, I somehow knew to cut through a cemetery, and that would lead me to my grandparents' home. As I was walking through the cemetery, oh, this is bad. This is bad, everybody. <laughs> a man dressed in all black, a fedora hat, very tall, very pale looking, appeared from behind a headstone. Ooh, yuck. He reached for me and said, now I have you. Oh, yuck. You know, I generally don't read these prior to doing this uh, answering. And it I get chills, man. Ugh. I ran right through him. Oh. Ugh. I made it back to my grandparents' home. My mother was crying and grabbed onto me. I had been gone for three hours. Oh. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I had wet my pants and was shaking. Finally, later that night, I drifted off to sleep. I was woke up to someone calling my name. And there he was again. Oh, God, chills. I couldn't scream. I couldn't do anything. Morning comes, and I go into the kitchen where my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt were. I told my grandma, your nephew has been shot by his wife. She gave me a funny look. I repeated it again. Only this time I said the name Jean. No sooner had I said it, the phone rang. The news came to my grandmother that Jean had been shot and killed by his wife. It was ruled an accident. Oh, my. Oh, I got chills. Nasty chills. My grandmother took me aside and asked how I knew this. I explained that the man told me. Oh, I told her my story. My grandmother believed me for one thing. It was a deep family secret that Jean was actually her nephew and not a cousin. At six, I blurted out the truth. She then began to help me deal as best as she could with my continued sights of him. He only came when someone is going to die. Oh, God. He still does to this day. You see, my mother is mainly Cherokee and a fourth Irish my grandma explained it was the Indian in me that allowed me to see things others could not. I only told her of any visits he would make after that night. When she passed, I just didn't speak of it. Two years ago, our oldest daughter, who was a mom herself, told me she had been seeing this man since she was 16 years old. Oh, God, oh, sick. She was the one to tell me he was called the hat man. I always called him the man in black or the death man. I hope it does not happen to my grandchildren as well. I'm hoping to find someone to hypnotize me back to that day to see if anything else happened. I thought it would share my story with you. Sincerely. Oh, Kim. Yikes. Oh, gosh. You know what, guys? I gave a good preaching to you guys uh, my last show, didn't I? about this stuff and what's going on. 
pardon me, I'm, I'm so sick. You have no idea. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is one of those stories that um, kind of explains it all. And like in my book, The Hat Man, uh, true story of evil encounters, I talk about several stories. I have about 50 stories in that book. Um, and I talk about how he does at times get attracted to death. Oh, at times he loves death. Um, but he comes around when somebody's about to die, or uh, some depressive action is going on, suicidal like thoughts and uh, violence, uh, yeah, illness, uh, accidents. He's either there to inspire it, or watch it happen, or be available to grab the soul of the person. And. Uh, this is a fine and horrible example of how he does that. But to inform a six-year-old, do, do you think that was done to be pleasant? I, I think it was done to horrify this child. I, I mean, and he feeds off from the fear. You know that, right? And I, I think I've said that at many, many of my shows, that he does feed off from the fear of people. And uh, a six-year-old can't hold back. I mean, poor thing, wet her pants. Missing for three hours. Now, this part is really, really interesting to me because, because I have always related shadow people who are controlled by the hat man to the alien phenomena. Now, that seems so wild, but look at the missing time. Look at that missing time. And a lot of these people who have experienced hat man or shadow people, they have also seen aliens. And sometimes right alongside of them. So it gets stranger and stranger. And interesting that she has this native uh, Cherokee in her because, yeah, there are some talk among the natives of having seen this guy for many a generations. I believe they call him Walking Sam. Um, he's very tall. By the way, Hat Man is no shrimp. He could be, eh, he could be six feet tall, but he could also be 12 feet tall. So... Um, he likes to change it up a little bit, but still, he likes people to recognize him for who he is. Um, you know, there is a way to keep him at bay, to keep him away. And uh, I have a second book called The Hat Man, and uh, essentially tells you, it's a, it's a cartoon book. So when you go to Amazon, you go and uh, check it out. I made it in comics. I'm a cartoonist. I can't help myself. Um, so I did a, a cartoon uh, like book for kids and adults showing you how to go through your home and to clear it out and kick his butt out as well. So all these dark pieces of crap and also uh, <laughs> pieces of crap they are. Um, the other Hat Man book. So book one is uh, also will tell you how to clear out your place. But I just had so many people always asking me, I don't get it. So how do I do this again? So a fun little cartoon-like book, comic book, I think was called for. So, um, my goodness, uh, yeah, um, there's so much that I could say in regards to that story that was sent here. But, um, ooh, my goodness, I, I could just carry on like nobody's business, and I have, haven't I? <laughs> but I'm going to get on over to my wonderful guests are about to come on. But I want to tell you guys, again, if you have any comments, questions, anything that you're going through that you'd like to have me share and uh, give you some level-headed advice, always feel free to write me through my main website, which is HeidiHollis.com, and find my email. 
dasoutlander at gmail.com. That is D as in David, A, S as in Sam, outlander at gmail.com. Kaboom. All right. So <laughs> I am sick as a dog. I don't know. It must be the flu. I think it's the flu. All right. So anyways, I'm going to get to my three guests that are becoming on here any second. I am going to introduce Pocket Universe Productions, guys. They bring you professional, full-cast audio movies adapted from science fiction, horror, and thriller prose and stage plays through the company's audio comics division. Independent comic books and graphic novels, and under the supervision of producers Lance Roger Axt and William Dufres, or Dufres, I think, <laughs> Jonathan Woodward, Pocket Ooh. Universe elevates audio fiction to a whole new level by offering the absolute best stories from the best writers and utilizing professional voice actors and richly layered soundscapes and music that takes full cast audio to whole new levels. Among their productions, the X-Files and Lock and Key audio dramas for audio studios, the former starring David Duchovny, oh yes, you know those two, don't you? Jillian, Gillian, come on now, Gillian Anderson as Mulder as Scully, <laughs> the latter with Tatiana Maslani and Haley Joel Osment. Their newest production, EC Comics presents The Vault of Horror adapting the first six issues of the classic 1950s comic book series starring the creator of the Underworld movie franchise with Kevin Gruvo as the vault keeper. Everybody, let's give a round of applause to hopefully our three guests that are on the line. <laughs> I don't know. I hope they're on the line. Lance, Bill, Jonathan, anybody there? Tap, tap, tap. <laughs> let's see here. Hold in the horses. Hold in the horses. Boom, 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 boom. Come on now. Come on. I, I'm, I'm reeling them in. I'm reeling them in. I know Skype has been giving our producers some headaches and hip hiccups today, unlike usual. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Skype is. Sorry, Skype could be a, a nightmare. <laughs> so uh, let's take a look here. Uh, tap, tap. Are they here? Let's see. Joe Montaldo is swinging around his magic wand saying, Alakazabra? Alakazoom? Alakaboom? What is going on here? Hold on. Two seconds. I know they're going to come. I know we caught one. Well, hopefully we get them in. So anyways... Until they pop on here, I have to tell you guys that I listened to uh, a couple of these. Well, they gave me three of their shows, and I got to listen to snippets of it. And, I mean, I have never heard this type of, like, production that uh, you could close your eyes, and it's as if you are watching the film. Like, it is that real. It is that, I don't know. It's like, it, it's, it's tremendous in the work that they put into this. So I hope that we get them on the line here so we could get them rolling and get their show all together. I don't know what happened. Joe, are you there? 
I think uh, I think Joe must have fallen somewhere too, because uh, it seems like everything is not a happening. <laughs> no, oh. I'm here for some, some reason. Two of them are saying not available, and the guy oh. earlier, Johnny, had called for some reason. Mm-hmm. I won't call him back, <laughs> but I'm trying. Oh <laughs> my to... goodness! Wow. And the uh, okay. the Bill guy for some reason it keeps saying he's not available. Holy smokes! How is this happening? So, I've had this happen with two folks in a row. This is just no, that's, terrible. That's crazy. But anyway, I'm like, I'm going to shut up. And go back oh, here. To I'm going to send you their phone numbers. Let's that try that. Let's, let's go for that. Okay, here we go. These things happen, people. Boop, boom, boom. Okay, here we go. All right, all right. Okay. And we're off. Ta-da. All right, so we should get him on the line here soon. As uh, Joe's burning his fingers typing in these phone numbers. <laughs> oh my gosh, but it happens. It happens. It's all good. So, anyways, I've got to tell you guys, as a uh, as a medical professional as I am, I didn't take the flu shot. Okay, I didn't take it. And I thought that I wouldn't have to take it this year for the for the first time. Like they they force us to take the flu shot or wear a mask for the entire flu season. Isn't that something? Wear a mask. So um, it, it, that's you could be perfectly healthy, but oh no, no no, you might put somebody at risk. And how effective is the flu vaccination every year? Not very much. But I'll tell you this: like three years ago is when the different places Hello. that I worked at. Aha! There he is. Which one is this one? There I am. This is Lance. (laughs) (laughs) Hey there, Lance. How's it going? (laughs) Good. How are you? Life is fabulous. I think we're reeling in the other two. We had some issues with Skype. Uh, Oh, dear. Uh, You'll only be getting uh, Jonathan. Bill is really, really sick. So uh, it's just going to be me and Jonathan. (laughs) Oh, that's all good. I'm sick, too. (laughs) Uh, Okay. It's the flu. I was just actually saying, you know, I, I'm an occupational therapist as well. So it's like, and we are forced in the medical field to take the flu vaccine. And here it's not even that effective anyways. But like three years ago, like before that, I never had the flu. And then when they made me start taking the flu vaccine, I would catch it twice a season. So I'm like, great. And before I got the flu vaccine this year, I'm sick now. I don't know what it is, what kind of cootie it is, if it's uh, <laughs> the flu or not, but it's something. Gotcha. <laughs> but we're live on the air. So um, while he's pulling in Jonathan, um, mm-hmm. I got to do the intro and I did get to listen to some of your work. And I have to say that, my gosh, it, you close your eyes, it, you feel like you're in a movie theater. It's pretty good. Well, that's kind of the point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. There we go. <laughs> so, I mean, so I just, I don't know what goes into that type of production. I mean, I think I've seen snippets here and there over the years on the, right. the odd little uh, doodads that, that the, the, the folks that create these sounds and gum chewing and shoe walking. And it's, it's kind of hilarious. Do you, do you guys have like a whole vault of uh, these odd little things to create these sounds? Oh, absolutely. Um, Bill Dufries actually has one of the biggest sound effects libraries probably in the entire state of Maine. Uh, He used to work for the BBC, 
And when he was there, he was able to get a hold of almost their entire library. So, um, I mean, at one point, he was downloading his library into one of my external hard drives, and it took a whole 12 hours to do. Let me just put it that way. That's how many sound effects a man has. And uh, that's not including music. Um, And that's not including music. And then, of course, you've got the sound effects that you create in studio, although we don't do that as much as some other artists do. The very first piece I ever did was a series of, uh, of simple uh, singular one acts. And we spent an entire day just putting together the Foley effects. Although I think some uh, um, sound effects artists hate the term Foley because it reminds yeah. me so much of old time radio, but we spent the day just working on Foley effects or sound effects, live sound effects within the studio for a 17 minute audio drama. And that included, you know, in the case, in this case, there was rain falling down. So we had to have the right kind of flooring. So we brought in tiles and we put, um, I think it was kitty litter over it to create the sound of uh, a wet <laughs> kitty litter to make this create the sound of uh, New York pavement during the middle of a rainstorm. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Huh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we, I guess we can just talk a little bit about uh, the adaptation itself. Yeah. Um, how, what was it like doing the adaptation? Well, you know, I can't speak for Butch D'Ambrosio, who adapted the other half of the first season stories. Mm. Um, was this a challenge? Not so much. This is more of an opportunity. Um, so let's talk about the opportunity, so to speak, in terms of the adaptation. When we approached EC Comics with this idea of doing Mm -hmm. the Vault of Horror, one of the things they wanted to see, or I probably should say here, was Mm -hmm. these stories updated with a modern sensibility. I mean, we are dealing with some very dated material here. These comics were penned in the early 1950s. The only guidelines were keep the camp and the creepiness present and well-balanced, and always remember the common themes that run through these stories. Now, with the latter, that means that we're dealing with, and if you think about the Tales from the Crypt TV adaptation, although I'll try not to bring that up too much, but this happened in different ways in just about every episode. And that's very immoral characters who mm-hmm. commit very unspeakable acts on very innocent people. And for that, they get their comeuppance. It's just that in the world of EC's horror titles, jail time isn't quite good enough or wasn't good enough for Bill Gaines. They get theirs in the most gruesome manner humanly possible. As Bill put it in a previous interview, these stories are morality tales. Yes, they're couched in horror, but they're still <laughs> morality tales. Uh, uh-huh. To EC's credit, they really let us run wild with the adaptations. Um, one of Butch's pieces, for example, Werewolf, has a modern-day uh, framing device, for example, of a secret CIA meeting. So we had the original script, which he did the adaptation of, but then we had the additional aspect of the, of, the, of the CIA meeting being held in a top secret location somewhere far away from uh, um, headquarters in Virginia, uh, in Langley, Virginia. And there's a little twist that happens at the end, as is usually the case with, you know, with EC stories. Another one was one that I did called The Beast of the Full Moon. I kept all the language from the original story, but likewise made it a story within a story. There wasn't much to it. In fact, when I did the actual dialogue transcription, I saw, oh, there's only two pages of actual dialogue. How am I going to turn this into a 20-minute audio drama? And then I was reading this, and it read like a melodrama. 
Well, mm-hmm. when were melodramas most prominent in entertainment? In silent films. I've become something of a silent film aficionado. And I was remembering, as I was reading this thing, a film called Sparrows with Mary Pickford. And I thought, well, why not make it a melodrama within a story? So uh, the original script was still there, but it was instead of uh, this, that, or the other thing, it became a, uh, uh, it became a, uh, a shooting script. So you have uh, the story within the story. You have the actual text from the comic book series. But instead, these characters are acting out a silent horror movie, and the framing device within that is uh, you've got directors uh, and uh, actors, and something very, very hideous is actually stalking the crew, much as something hideous is stalking the main character. So, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It sounds like it. My goodness. Now, in order to (laughs) do this stuff pretty good, you must be a fan of horror, thrillers, paranormal, I take it? Um. I'm a fan of comic books. I'm, def- I'm definitely a longtime comic book aficionado, uh, mm. and I have been since I was a kid. EC Comics has a special place with a lot of fans in the fact that this was really, although the first horror comic book to ever come out was, I believe, called Adventures into the Unknown, this was a situation where EC got the majority of or I should say the lion's share of readership just because of the way that the stories were presented. So you bring up EC to any really knowledgeable comic book fan who knows comic books or at least knows the genre beyond say Superman and Batman uh, and Spider-Man, you're going to find people who are just passionate about these particular Mm -hmm. books, not just, not just the horror titles, but also crime suspense stories, weird fantasy these were the first comic books. I think Kevin said it uh, when we were working with him in the studio that these comic books were the first ones to also integrate social stories or to integrate uh, a social a sense of morality. Yeah. Uh, because these are these are morality tales. So mm-hmm. or at least some of them are. You think about uh, weird fantasy, which uh, EC is working with Hive Mind right now to turn that into a TV series. Um, there was one particular comic book issue of that i cannot remember for the life of me what it was but it was about a lone voyager leaving his world to find someplace better and that place was going to be earth and we never see his face until the very very end of the um uh sorry about that uh we never see his face until the very very end of the story when he takes off his helmet and suddenly the character is African-American. Mm. And that was, that was shocking. And, and that really propelled EC into the forefront of who do these guys think they are in the 1950s? You know, um, and the, at the same thing applied to, I think the uh, devil definitely applied to the horror comics because the parents had never seen anything like this before. Um, the kids loved it because they were very tired of, uh, of the flash and they were tired of wonder man and they were tired of, <laughs> Captain Marvel, and they were tired of the old comic books of the past after the Second World War. They wanted something a little more adult. They wanted something a little. Uh, um, they, wa- they wanted something with a, a little more oomph to them, and yeah. that is what uh, that's what Bill Gaines and EC provided. Now, in the case of these comic books, they are morality tales. You know, the per- the person gets their comeuppance at the end. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Nice. There you yeah, go. In, in no, I like that. I, I think that um, that, that kind of makes it uh, relatable. That's for sure. When you add that human element in there, that there's a, there's a lesson to be learned. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so Absolutely. I, there's, all, there's always, mm-hmm. always a lesson yeah. to be learned in everything. Yeah. yeah. And that's what the yeah. parents didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that that's happened with a lot of new, new movements in general <laughs> my gosh honestly it's like rock and roll must die that type of thing my gosh but exactly. um <laughs> you know it, i i was um i did the ones that you've created do you have a personal favorite that was like fun to make and fun to hear uh the ec comics pieces specifically? Of all, any and all of them oh boy any and all of them well <laughs> my personal th- well, I'll give you the – since we're talking about uh, the Vault of Horror, I'll give you in my favorite Vault of Horror and then my favorite piece to do, period. Vault of okay. Horror, my favorite piece to do was actually called uh, Portrait in Wax, and it was the very, very first one. I'm not sure why it just was. I just liked the story. I liked this particular comeuppance uh, for uh, our character, Henri Julien. This is the one that I think just – because I was going in sequential order – uh, this is the one that really got me excited. Okay, now now I've got a, you know, now now I've got a rhythm here. Um, <laughs> so that was a lot of fun, and it was it's always fun as a writer to. I, I don't know how many writers actually talk about this, but writers for television or film. But when you see the actors doing your words, speaking mm. your words in the studio, it's it's there's there's nothing like it. And I had some great actors working on this one, including Peter Burkrod, who is uh, one of the top audiobook narrators in the country. And he was actually in a little movie called Caddyshack a long time ago. Ooh, so, uh, nice. I got that going for me, which is nice. Ah. Um, <laughs> of, uh, of the work outside of EC, this again is me as a writer, and that was Sight Unseen, which was my original creation. It's the first IP that we ever put out for Pocket Universe. And uh, actually, the first six episodes are available on Wondery, uh, the Wondery Podcast Network. Yes. And uh, this was my trial by fire. But uh, again, hearing the actors saying your words, hearing, mm. knowing people are listening to your words. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's nothing like that. There really isn't. Oh, it's and, like magic. Um, the, it Truly. Is. And the first, <laughs> first six episodes of that are on Wondery. And uh, we're working right now with Wondery to uh, do more episodes in the future. So for anybody who's wondering, why weren't there more episodes made? Well, there, there will be. There will be. Um, but <laughs> right cool. now the focus obviously is on, uh, on Vault of Horror. So yeah. that's my, that's my yeah. two favorites. Yeah. Oh, I love it. it. It sounds like we got Jonathan on the line. Jonathan, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Aha. Ah, there he is. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Sorry we had some trouble. Thanks. Skype has been uh, cursed, I believe, and it's just always, every once in a while, slapping us silly with some kind of errors and issues. So <laughs> glad that you could join us. No problem us. at all. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so we've been just chewing the fat on absolutely anything and everything related to these awesome projects that you guys have pulled together. And um, I was asked, well, I was, I was, I was wondering which were the favorite projects uh, here that uh, and we're just kind of going over that. So I'm curious for yourself, do you have a, a favorite that you enjoyed most going over? Well, I am, my background 
is that I came to the I came to the company a little bit later. I'm a, I'm a new partner to the company. I've been working with Bill and Lance on the projects, but as a voice actor. Um, <laughs> uh, it turns nice. out that I was just visiting my mother in Maine, and I was, uh, you know, just how you, how you doing, just go and uh, say hi. She says, you've got to just go, you know, there's a man just down the road and, and he does <laughs> lots of uh, audio. So you should go visit him. I'm like, all right, mom. Love That's it. Cool. <laughs> That's and um, eventually, like, just got around, you know, we got introduced uh, eventually somehow. And, um, and it's true. He's got, to, he's got a, you know, he's got an office out back. He's got this beautiful studio. I'm an actor. For uh-huh. a lot of years, and I work in public radio and uh, as an audio producer myself. So um, it was it was great meeting these guys, and I started coming in as as just vocal talent, you know, just to go through all of them. And I was I was in Vault of Horror before I joined the company as a partner, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have my favorites from Vault of Horror. Obviously, um, <laughs> the top three are not all ones that I happen to feature in that's fine um but one of them is the one that lance was <laughs> the one lance was talking about the play within a play there's um there's the he set the story inside of a inside of a hollywood film shoot and it was a really really well written script it's really clever it's funny it works there's um there's a lot more to listen to there's a lot there's a whole new world lance there's some phenomenal work writing these uh, so I particularly enjoy that one, yeah. and um, that's Beast of the Pullman. There's a lot of werewolves in in this particular uh, lineup. The other favorite I have is uh, it's just a single uh, single voice, a personal mm-hmm. narrative about about becoming a werewolf and thinking. Well, actually, there might be some other voices, but it's mostly him. It's great. It's just a wonderful actor. He's yeah. doing some amazing work. Some really you know, it's really weird to sit there in a studio and to say, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my, my werewolf voice now. And it's, um, I uh, hope nobody laughs at me. <laughs> I think that was Joe. I think that was Joe Bearer. If you're thinking about werewolf legend, that was Joe Bearer. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, go. and he, um, he goes all the way in and it's amazing. It's just really wonderful to hear him start to get all juicy and excited mm-hmm. And he's talking about, you know, like the adrenaline coursing through his veins. Or no, he can smell the adrenaline in the air. And, um, you know, he's just doing work that I, um, despite having been performing for 30 years, I um, I probably would have been a little shy on that one. So those are my two favorites. I, uh, I nice. kind of really like the werewolf ones. Really cool. You know, I have to give well, you guys... Because he threw out... Okay, so he threw out two favorites. I get to throw out two favorites too, because I give you one. Um, All right. The other one, well, the other one. This is this is kind of a, a special one for me in the fact that we got Phil Proctor to be involved. Mm. And Phil Proctor, for people out there who don't know, is one of the greatest names in comedy radio. He is the co-founder of the Firesign Theater. And uh, Phil, we knew Bill and I knew Phil from uh, uh, the National Audio Theater Festivals, which is where we first met. And uh, Phil came out uh, on a couple of occasions with his wife, Melinda, to uh, teach and to wind up being an actor in some shows. And Butch D'Ambrosio, who's still close friends with him, he knows the surviving members of the Fire Signs, told Phil about what we were doing. He said, oh, can I be in it? I mean, this is having (laughs) one of the members of 
the group that has been referred to by the Library of Congress as the Beatles of Comedy. Whoa! In your in your group, yeah, these guys have been uh, put on pedestals by everyone from the late Stan Freeberg to John Goodman to even members of the Beatles. Um, so to have Phil Proctor in the piece, one of our pieces was absolutely fantastic. We just had to find the right one for him to do. And there is this one piece uh, in the in uh, the first season called Rats Have Sharp Teeth. And it was a one-person piece about a guy named Abner Tucker who is raiding graves in his little town in the South when he discovers that these wealthy, uh, wealthy men and women took their wealth with them to the grave. Well, I'm going to go get him. But he minds up making enemies of the rats, and the rats have their own form of vengeance against them. So this was the perfect piece to do. And I actually somehow – I don't know what I was thinking when I came up with this, but I turned it into a nursery rhyme for uh, the Vault Keeper to read. So uh, everything is in rhyming couplets from the Vault Keeper, from Kevin Grievous, and then you have the regular lines from uh, from Phil Proctor. But uh, that's got to be my other favorite. Nice, really cool. Hey, you know, the entire the, project. The, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. No, I was just going to say uh, one of the things that. I specifically like about Vault of Horror is the playfulness of it. I mean, there's been, there's a lot of, there's a lot of audio drama that we've all, that we've produced, that we've been a part of. A lot of it is, you know, it's very serious and you, you really don't get an opportunity to, 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 to break down the walls and sort of acknowledge your audience, acknowledge, you know, the sort of lurid ridiculousness of oh, not nice. only the story, yeah. But of the of the very fact that you know, like we're just sort of sitting around listening to what, like, what does it exactly sound like when uh, a Frenchman gets a bunch of acid tossed in his face, right? So, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> oh, boy! It's, it's not, it's not, you know, it's it's all a game. It's 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 camp, mm -hmm. and and by being able to put it inside, you know, some of this audio drama that we've been doing, it is in some cases, audio drama, it's very, you know, it's, it, you know, you've got to really suspend a vibe, an idea, uh, a tone, but with Vault of Horror, we could just really break down and start to swim through the absurdity of it. The, the, there's a, there's a really great piece about um, a swamp thing. Um, mm -hmm. I can't spoil it for you, but I will <laughs> I've already spoiled it by saying there's a swamp thing. Basically, <laughs> there's a swamp thing. Okay. What does swamp thing sound like? Oh, I love it. Totally, totally, totally fun. Mm. You bring up a great point because that's where, that's one of the things that uh, the representatives from EC sent to me when I uh, mm -hmm. was having lunch with them at uh, San Diego Comic-Con was, uh, from the grandson of Bill Gaines, the original publisher himself, you guys got right what a lot of folks get wrong. And that is the fact that there has to be a balance in this, uh, in this uh, work. No matter what you're doing horror-wise from EC, if it's Vault of Horror, if it's Haunt of Fear, if it's Tales from the Crypt, you've got to yeah. have that level of camp. The camp mm -hmm. and the creepiness go hand in hand. There's got to be a balance. And there have been takeoffs or rip-offs of Tales from the Crypt, or mm -hmm. there might have been, I think there was one uh, licensor who almost got it right, but not really, because he went more and more toward the horror side, and it just wasn't EC Comics. 
you know, I think that's what we did right here in this case is that nice. we've got that balance. Yeah, you yeah. know what? I, I think we have something in common because one of the things I, I, I enjoy the most, and here I'm known for naming two real paranormal demons, okay? Um, and and I, I, but I'm a cartoonist. I'm a comic strip artist at, at heart, you know? And it's like, like I, all I can't right. help but to throw humor. Yeah. So it's like, I can't help but to throw humor in my books and, and my writings. And I mean, it's just, and when I do my shows even, it's like, I don't want to sit there with a flashlight under my chin and to scare the crap out of people. I, I want people to treat these, because I, what I usually have on the show are, are paranormal topics. And I, I want people to be more curious and ask more questions instead of shaking in fear. I want them to get this. I want them to be able to relate to this. I want them to deal with these topics like they would any other topic, as humanly flawed as possible. So I, I like to throw humor in there. I like to laugh when I feel like laughing. It's like, I, and, and a lot of these paranormal shows that are out there, they sit there and they're just, you know, they horrify and scare. And I'm like, uh, you know, sure, I know how to clear a room when I want to, <laughs> but I want to mm-hmm. reach people. I want to reach people. So you guys are speaking my language when you're saying that you put that camp in there. You you got that uh, that level of, um, I don't know, that little twang of, of humor, that little sense of relief while you're watching or listening, you know, so that that's that's really inviting. And uh, I, I'm glad that that's something that you were able to pull off. And what a huge compliment to get on that, too, that you got it right. Exactly. And I think some of it also comes from the fact that the original hosts for these comic books, the mm-hmm. Crypt Keeper, which everyone knows from Tales from the Crypt, in this case, the Vault Keeper, and then there's the character of the Old Witch, they're masters and mistresses of really bad puns. And that's one of the ways <laughs> that E.T. was trying to lighten things up. I think that's something that you actually brought up, um, Jonathan, when we were working with Kevin, was uh, all the bad puns are in there. <laughs> it's just it's oh, yeah. a pun fest. It's a pun fest, and uh, that Lance was just was one way. Unable to restrain himself and under any circumstances from piling them on as thick and as deep as he could. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And Love that was it. just the fun also of working with Kevin. Um, we, should, we should probably talk a little bit about Kevin Grievous, uh, our vault keeper, uh, just, nice. just because he was so Man. awesome. We met him. We met him through a, uh, a wonderful guy, and I will state his name right here. His name is uh, David Yuthlin. He's our silent producer. Nice. David's a film producer, and his dad is probably one of the biggest names in Hollywood. Uh, his name is Michael Yuthlin, the producer of the Batman franchise. Uh, they're also two of the nicest guys that Bill and I, I'm not sure Jonathan has had uh, uh, any um, passing by with the Yuthlins, but they're two, if you ever do, Jonathan, they're two of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in the industry. They really are, and they are also two very, very old school comics fans. So when Bill and I told David about our working in EC Sandbox, well, one thing led to another and he introduced us to Kevin. Now, um, Kevin is the creator of the Underworld film franchise. Uh, he also wrote and directed I Frankenstein with Aaron Eckhart and I believe Yvonne Strahovski's in that. Uh, he's written for Marvel. He's got his own comic book nice. line called Dark Storm. And he's got one of the deepest voices we have ever heard i couldn't believe that's his voice david joked to us over the phone that he actually collects kevin's voice messages just because he likes to listen to them um (laughs) and his was the perfect voice because one of the goals with this adaptation was we wanted to give it its own identity Mm -hmm. and by that i mean separate it as much as possible from the tales from the crypt tv show and obviously one way of doing that was finding the right voice for the vault keeper i mean much as i love john to the voice of the crypt keeper 
Bill and I, when we started this project, we didn't want this to be a Tales knockoff, even though it's from the same publisher. And what's funny is that I've read some comments on Facebook uh, from people who have purchased and listened to the complete first season, some of whom are real EC purists. They're out there who mentioned that they always envisioned after hearing the Vault Keeper's voice, Kevin is the Vault Keeper, they envisioned the Crypt Keeper Wow. It sound more like what Kevin sounded like rather than what John sounded like because huh. well because uh the Ke- the Crypt Keeper's look in the comics yeah. is not what was created for the TV show. He looks more human. I mean obviously a disgusting human, but he's not uh this hollowed out corpse. Mm. So I just found that very interesting. Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's really cool. Really interesting stuff. Now what is on the horizon? Like, are, you guys are always pulling various projects together at the same time, correct? It's not just mm-hmm. one stream. So what is it? What are you guys, what are you doing right now? None of which Lance is going to tell you about, unfortunately. <laughs> That's right. As <laughs> <laughs> much as I would like to. Can, can, can you say what vein and what vein it is, at least? You know what? I will say this much. We have a bunch of projects in the works, but all of them are very different. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but all of them are different. Oh, yeah, they're totally uh, different. Yeah, every single one is pretty much different. We could be doing Um, ourselves a small favor by specializing somehow, somewhere, a little bit down the line, but we we tend to be looking at projects that really capture our imagination. You know, that's that's kind of where you've got to to follow all of this. Um, You know, we've got got projects that are are looking at um, futurism, there's projects that were, you know, uh, there's always sci-fi, which is very satisfying. There's absurdism. I think one of the things that, that is a through line for me particularly is um, I really like to see a sense of play and a sense of humor. I don't, you know, like I, I like the cartoons part because I need a little bit of that, um, especially when, you know, tucking in for eight straight hours of uh, of whatever it is that we're going to be talking about, you know, a story has to go places and I really need some lightness some levity before I'm going to really dive into some of the, the, the harder parts. Um, uh, a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was doing a film <laughs> with, um, <laughs> uh, with this actress and it was, it's a horrifyingly sad film. It's a terribly sad film. It's a film about a woman who dies horribly of cancer and oh. is oh, um, suffering the entire time. Yeah. Mm, mm. And um, we had to, of course, I wasn't part of the, I was just a young actor. I really wasn't part of the, you know, the, the artistic, you know, leadership on that by any stretch. Um, so, but I got to, I, you know, I got exposure to them and they're, they're talking about this and they're, they're working through this whole thing as though it's a comedy. It's, it's, um, it's a magnificent script of a Pulitzer Prize winning stage play, and, but it is truly, truly a terrifyingly sad story. But it does need the humor and it's this really delicate line, which I'm sure as a cartoonist that you know, where you really have to be able to earn your tragedy and you have to do it through the things that we can all relate to. And Comedy is that really, you know, tough moment of, of identifying discomfort. You know, we're going to see this discomfort there and we're yeah. going to, we're going to, 
you know, that's what's going to make it, we're going to identify it. It's going to be something that we might recognize or my problem with comedy is that I, I, I can always see a situation where I'm the guy that made the, um, the really bad decision. You know what I mean? There's, mm-hmm. um, there's a really mm-hmm. good example. Um, do you remember the story with the, with the plane and it's flying and it takes off from LaGuardia and then there's double bird strike. These birds get chewed up in the engines and it's, 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 you know, destroys the engines and heroic Sully Sullenberger played by Tom Hanks in the movie comes around and he guides this plane to a magnificent landing right, right. there in the Hudson right, river right. in the middle of winter. Brilliant. And all of the evening news, they show all of the people like getting out and lining up on the wing of this plane to come be rescued. And you're thinking like this plane's going to sink immediately, but no, it's just sitting there. All these people uh, lined up out on the wing of the plane. And you can tell from, from the helicopter that there's one guy standing there in nothing but his underpants. Hmm. And I know what that guy's thinking. I know exactly what he's thinking. He's thinking back to Boy Scout times. He's like, okay, I got to jump into the Hudson River. It's cold. I'm going to have to swim for shore. I don't want my shoes. I don't want my clothes weighing me down. I'm going to have to be nimble. I'm going to take off all my clothes so that I can um, swim to safety, not knowing that they were going to make him stand on the plane wing and wait to be rescued. And I'm so that guy. I am totally that man. I understand him. I would have done the same wow. thing. Right, right. It's tragedy. And, you're, you know, that's what makes Baltimore so magnificent. And that's what I, I really want to look for in all of the pieces going forward. You know, because if we're going to have these hard moments of tragedy, if you're doing an eight-hour movie all at once, you've yeah. really got to give people a different landscape there's got to be places they can go so you're surprising them so that you don't have the same tone throughout and i can i can safely say that the projects that that we're considering all of them can do that they have that yeah that ability to to swim back and forth wow that's amazing yeah. you know i, one, I have one to of ask the you guys that, uh, oh go ahead i, I gotta go ask ahead. you guys something i mean as a consumer and somebody who's been doing talk radio for ugh, 15 years or so now, I, I am really still kind of shocked at the direction that uh, podcasting and broadcasting has gone in the audio direction. I mean, because people are so freaking visual and, and we're getting the better graphics for this and for that. And people are so encased in their phones and, and it, I, I'm really surprised. Did it surprise you that this has opened up as wide as it has this whole industry? Hmm. That's Not a good me, question. but, um, you know, yeah. you're preaching to the choir with me. Like I was, I was a working actor in Hollywood <laughs> and driving all over Tarnation eight hours a day, you know, auditions from Manhattan beach all the way up to Burbank, God knows where. And I noticed through that all, um, I didn't, I didn't have an iPod, you know, there None of this had come along yet. Sadly. Right. And I, I was listening to public radio, KCRW, all the time. And the story started to repeat and run out because there wasn't enough of it. There's a thing <laughs> that happens when you're deprived of the video. Uh, video has made great strides and so does CGI. And we all know instances where there's something extremely visual that's great, but it doesn't really solve a bad story ever. Um, 
I believe there's, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the generalities of this right. And probably mm -hmm. the specifics a little bit missy, but there was a study that tracked brain activity um, for different kinds of experience on the same piece of work. And it was shown that when you listen to something and you listen to an audio book, as opposed to reading it or watching it on TV, you're actually firing off a lot more of your brain. There are so many things that you're given with television. There's little left to the imagination. You can be on the edge of your seat waiting for what's coming next, but you're not filling in a lot of gaps, unless there's like a whodunit and you're trying to figure it out or something. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's, it's so passive. You don't, you don't, you're not responsible for anything. And with books, you've got absolutely everything. And I don't know. I mean, I read books a little too fast. I, um, I don't, I don't take in every word. I don't respect the, <laughs> the author's every last punctuation mark that will give me the fullest, completest picture of how to get there. Right. Um, but with this audio work, you're allowed to start creating this whole movie inside your head where it will play out and it will be much more complete because it is in the last step of the algorithm is what you're going to place onto it. It's why, you know, the slow march of the, you know, the takeover of public radio and why podcasting actually did bloom was not because the tech was great. It's not because the tech everybody had. It's because you could tell stories in such a great way that people really started to have a stake in. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's really the fact that you don't have the visuals that make it so good. That's just yeah. It. And with this particular medium and putting horror in audio, let's be perfectly honest. Some of the scariest things, they're in your head. They're making your way out of your subconscious. And because there's an intimacy to this kind of format, those things can be amplified very, very easily. Because with yeah. these stories, we're not supplying, supplying you with these visuals. We're supplying you with what you need, the voiceovers, mm -hmm. the sound effects, the music and sounds, for you to create your own. And that could be scarier than anything that George Romero or John Carpenter's put on film. You know, Lore, <laughs> Alice Isn't Dead, No Sleep Podcast mm -hmm. is the reason why some of those are the most popular podcasts out there. You don't want to listen to them alone in the dark. In fact, I think Stephen King himself said, you know what, I have it right here. Uh, I don't know if this is about the release of the audio drama of The Mist. Uh, might have been. Bill and I actually know the director of that piece. Um, he said mm. that the special effects that your mind makes are perfect. And that's yeah. all you need. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like that. Yep. I like that. That's that's very true. It, you know, yeah, we tell you what you're going to see uh, from there. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, having just moved from Chicago and the long drive times just going a couple of miles, um, <laughs> having a, a podcast to, to listen to, it does take up the time and it does take you out of the traffic. I mean, it really transports you to a, another time and space. And, and the, a lot of my friends and, and uh, people that I, that I knew in, the, in Chicago, I mean, this was, this was the way they passed their time. Have you found that uh, folks who live in areas that they don't have high traffic, are they still as engrossed in uh, these types of podcasts and what you're oh, creating? I think so. Very, very much so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. it's, it's probably yeah, in, in audio books. It's prominent here. Sure. 
yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to milk the goats to something, you know, it's either going to be <laughs> classical music and he gets tired of that, but you know, milk uh-huh. the goats is you got to just sort of sit there and it's pretty cold and you're yeah. on this little stool <laughs> and you know, there's seven goats you got to get through and you just gotta, you know, wait until it's I done. Basically. I, it's, I never thought of that. I never thought of that as being an escape. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's actually funny. One of our best friends, one of our um, our be- our favorite colleagues, uh, Fred Greenhalge, is uh, is, uh, is he's a homesteader and he is um, he's a goat and turkey raiser and he's one of the best audio producers you will ever find and he's as nice. off grid as a man can can try to be. In fact. I think I was listening in about an hour ago when you guys were talking about the sound effect libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, <laughs> I was just visiting friends in Maine over the Thanksgiving weekend. And I woke up to this, <laughs> the sound of this human falling down a set of stairs um, horribly six or seven times. <laughs> And, and I kind of, I got out of bed. Where I, were you? What is going on over here? And I, um, I was staying in the farmhouse oh, of man. a former mo- a horror movie director that I know. And our old buddy Fred was there because, you know, you can have every, every single sound in the entire library. But he'll still go out with his, his, his mobile kit. And he had this mm-hmm. massive duffel bag that was full of books and clothes. So it would sound like bones <laughs> and flesh. And he was throwing oh. his duffel bag down the stairs over and over, trying to get just the right recording of what it might sound like if an unconscious portly human was to go rolling down the stairs. <laughs> I just like, I wonder who's the judge of all these sound effects. Like, yeah, that's right. It's like, you've never heard that before. How do you know? I mean, it's kind of like you say, your imagination is never wrong. Uh, and I guess mm-hmm. if others can relate to it, it becomes so, huh? <laughs> we have some have interesting experiences so. doing that, um, uh, working with Fred and uh, his, his boom mic when we were doing Lock and Key. Uh, we did Lock and Key for, um, for Audible uh, before the TV show happened. Yes, before the TV show happened, we did it and we did the whole thing live on location. And we were able to, uh, like in one case, there's a, a really spooky part of Maine. What isn't a spooky part of Maine? There is a, uh, there's a series of hey. buildings and underneath the, and underneath the buildings, actually it was a, a textile plant back in the 1910s and 20s. And now it's a big series of apartments. And, but underneath you have these caverns and we recorded a lot of the scenes down in, in uh, the caverns. Uh, and, Using the boom mic just made a world of difference, but also it can have its own set of, of uh, challenges, especially when you've got to deal with planes going overhead. And uh, in one case, we had to move uh, from our original spot to a new spot in Maine because the old spot, um, uh, they were caulking the building next door and didn't bother to tell us about it. So, uh, okay, stop. Stop. Oh, We found a new place to work, but we had to deal with, the screaming chicken at certain oh. points when we were ha- when we had, we had these really intense emotional scenes between the lock kids and the other various characters. 
in this lovely remote area, or at least we thought it was a remote area of Maine. There's a farm nearby, and uh, dang it all, they had chickens, and these chickens didn't cluck. They screamed. So we would hear oh. the most interrupting. Oh, yeah. And you'd have Fred oh. Greenhalgh right out there recording it because he knows he's going to need the, the sound of some young kid screaming. And he's like, these chickens are perfect. I will record exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. That's what he did. He did, Stop right? There was one to go record the chickens. Yeah. He's obsessed. That's awesome, though. <laughs> well, you need that kind of, you need that kind of, um, you know, you need that kind of devotion. Like, um, you know, it's you not do. just having the sound effects library. It's having the predisposition of will to listen to 17 different screaming animals to know that the one that really <laughs> adequately represents the four-year-old that you want <laughs> screaming. I just can't and, yeah, even I don't imagine. have it yet. Gotta go get that. Gotta go get that chicken. I mean, oh, there's but, a great story about who, uh, about who, Tom. Who Lopez. harasses uh, the, the chicken? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Right? You got to get somebody out there to go irritate the right. chickens so you can get them to scream. Right, for right, you. right. Here's the the director of the Mist, Tom Lopez. Uh, he used to do that when he was a young young buck. He would go out with his uh, a version of a boom mic, and he would go to different parts of the world to collect sound effects, and he would bring them back, and he would craft his Jack Flanders stories for National Public Radio around them. And I remember this one story he was writing about going to the Amazon because he had heard about these stories of these wonderful Amazon rainforest frogs that only come out at night. And he had to get these sounds. So he waited out in the, in the Amazon rainforest until <laughs> night fell. And he's getting these sounds. And that's when something fell on his back. It had eight legs. Oh. It was very hairy. And it was about twice the size of your hand. So he quickly rushed. Oh. Got it off. It was Fred Greenhalgh. Yes, oh, it was Fred Greenhalgh jumping on his back. <laughs> <laughs> but but I could oh, not the man had, do uh, it. The man had guns. The man had guns uh, thrust in him when he was when he was recording another piece, and uh, he got caught up in a revolution somewhere in a third world country, and he had to get out. <laughs> I of hope he recorded his. Song. I hope he recorded his Guaranteed. own screams because those screams of horror <laughs> being caught like that would. Uh, yeah, that would do it for They're me, probably, especially yeah. the spider. Literally priceless. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't imagine. You, you know what's? Um, I just can't imagine having that kind of a, a library and having to search it and, and knowing the right tag to put mm. on it, and, and then having to listen to it, all of it. I'd be like, nope, not that one. Nope. I mean, it. That sounds absolutely tedious. Absolutely. I don't know how you guys it is, do that. Because it's, you want to get the right one. You know, there's this certain yeah. way. There's um there's a certain way. Like one of my one of my favorite um EC comic uh um Vault of Horror covers. I think it's Vault of Horror. It's it's this woman and she's um she's in the foreground and she's sort of looking at her Christmas tree. And it's a lovely Christmas tree. And um uh there's a there's sort of this red-headed gentleman in, in 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 the background over her shoulder behind her and he is in full swing and his face is just like this vision of absolute <laughs> fury and malice and he's about to chop her head off with this really big axe probably the axe he used to chop down the tree oh, what boy. is that specific sound like and how is it sort of walking that line between 
kind of propriety and and a little bit of satire that's supposed to make you think about a thing. <laughs> this was the thing that William Gaines, you know, he had to really work on this. You know, the colors were really lurid in this thing. And yeah. there's a really there's, yeah. there's a really famous exchange when he went to when when he went to Congress, because um, there was this there was this guy Kipauver. Uh, I, I never know if I'm saying his name right. Um, Kipauver. He was um. He was he was really all about you know what are these kids these days reading? I was in a film about Betty Page at once, and he was a central character there. He was he was running all of the all of the congressional hearings about what are the kids looking at? What of this? What is this awful Betty Page stuff? And there's right, this exchange, yeah. right, that he has with Bill Gaines when Bill Gaines gets hauled up because these are these like these these awful sickening like. <laughs> a, a little bit terrifying thing in in the b- base of the fifties, and and they're they're grilling him, and uh, you know, like even he had a hard time trying to define for for Congress what is the line that separates this from just being gross and mm. being in bad taste and being um, sickening in a way that that <laughs> that outlines. You know the problems that we have with violence right now. Are they a product yeah. of, or are they informed by what we're doing? Um, New Orleans has. I got a call from, you know, Louisiana for this thing. I, you know, imagine New Orleans is truly suffering uh, right now with the shootings, and it's not like we don't see people getting shot all the time in film. It's just, you've got to right. take it in such a way where you know you're commenting on something rather than um, getting excited about the, you know, the, the violence pornography that can happen. And even, even William Gaines had a hard time finding that line, but it's there, it's there. And, and it's there in every single, if you've got 30 different acts going in to a prime rib roast, <laughs> you know, because you got to get that <laughs> that one right thing. There's some that are just going to sound right. There's going to sound wrong. There's um, a famous story about Quentin Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs, where there's a moment where a guy gets his ear cut off, um, and there were two. There was a couple of different takes. There was one where um, sort of zooms in, and the, you know they just do some practical effects, and you can see the ear gets sliced off and there's blood and it's horrible. And, um, and then there's another take where the guy goes in to cut the ear off and the camera pans away and then comes back to find the guy who cut the ear off holding the ear. And then he leans into it and he goes, hello, you know, it's really, and it's a moment of humor. It's a moment of gratuitous (laughs) violence, horrible, but far and away the take that was most effective, the one that ended up in the movie was the one where you pan away. So you can, you can mm. fill it in, in your mind. You don't need to see fill, it. Fill like in the brains. Yep. You've got to have yeah. enough that the story is most profoundly told. And then the first mm-hmm. thing that happens when you go back to the guy holding this ear is a great joke. He holds the ear up and says, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's I love what it. You do the, with your, the build you know, up. The build up for All sure. The up. You know, but that's what you need. <laughs> having uh, having done talk radio for a while, I I can't help but to think that 
uh, some of the advances in uh, the podcast industry and, and, and productions like your own have gotten the consumer to be very much uh, an on-demand type of consumer. I mean, I have more people who listen to the show uh, through the archives. They want to listen when they want to listen. They want to listen always when it's live, and and, and it, they want to push the button, pause, run, go do something. And I, I find it fascinating that um, it, it's it, when people hear that I have a show, they're like, oh, it's a podcast. No, it's live broadcast. What? Like, that's what, the show. That? It, it's like, yeah, what, what is live? that? Yeah, it's, it's live. People it's still like, do that? Oh, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that weird? I'm like, I'm always surprised, and I always have to correct people. And, and I'm like, yeah, it still exists out there. But, yes, it does get recorded, and you can play it when you want to. But it's so weird to me. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been exposed to that, but it is, it's really a different world out there when it comes to broadcast and podcast uh for audio it's really it's a cool shift but then it's kind of like and and i even tell people at the beginning of my shows here's the the call-in number but i know most of you are listening to the archive so it's the show's already over you know don't even bother to call so it is a whole other like industry now and um exciting scary cool and all at the same time for me i don't know for you guys this is awesome (laughs) well you know Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) like um i'm I'm totally with you like the, the the point where i entered I intersected with radio for the first time. It was that like um, somebody I knew at Bates College had signed up for a radio program that they actually decided they didn't want to do. It was from two to five a.m. every Monday morning oh. through the summer. And it's just the worst oh. shift. It's a horrible thing. And I took it over, and it was just it's just this playground, right? And the one thing that you can say definitively about podcasts is it's given everybody access to creation, to, you know, as a culture, as a, as a race, as a, as a species, we're going to start spinning through our cultural output and learning as a group logarithmic, algorithmically faster. You know, like it's, it's the curve just went way up. We're going to produce more and more and more. So, there's not going to be one Ira Glass. There's going to be a hundred thousand, and we're going to learn a lot about human storytelling. I wish Joseph Campbell were around to see it. Mm. But you <laughs> are correct. Like I'm totally with you that yeah. I left radio for a long time, and when I decided it was time to get back into public radio, you know, I took a part-time job at Maine Public Radio. You know, thirteen bucks an hour just to get anywhere near a broadcast station i was you know i did the training program over at the local um university fm station which had a reach of about Mm -hmm. you know 50 yards and (laughs) you really had to want it in a different way you had to go for it um yeah but i think we've got you know i i'm i'm like that like i want to listen to all things considered when i want to listen I don't want to listen when they oh, want to yeah. tell me. I want to listen when I, I don't want to get yeah. up at six to listen to it. 
you know? I, Ma- yeah, I'm, I'm, made the consumers very laid back and demanding in the way that they want it and how they want it. I, I get emails all the time. It's just like, I go to bed listening to you every night. It's like, okay. <laughs> I don't, my show does not air at that time, but all righty then. <laughs> so, that's fine. Um, I used yeah. to fall asleep to Dr. Demento. I mean... Oh, me too. I love Dr. Demento. Right? Oh, and Dr. Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth was on right after. Right, exactly. You get the two. Like, my brother would do us all a favor, and he would fall asleep, but he would set his boombox to record it, and we would always get cut off in the middle of Dr. Ruth. On one hand, you know, we'd get Dr. Demento, and he gave us Frank Zappa. Like, there's so much I regret our children will not encounter because you can have all of the weirdness at the tips of your fingers. Oh, speaking of weirdness, weird Al Yankovic. I mean, what the heck? He's like timeless. That man, he looks the same and he's still rocking it, isn't he? <laughs> he's magnificent. He's totally magnificent. He is. He really Although is. I wonder, so. what's, I wonder what's going to happen as, as uh, what you're talking about in terms of archiving as mm-hmm. more and more, podcast networks start putting up paywalls which right now is something of a controversy happening right now uh if you want to hear like there was a a really funny i mean what i was going to say earlier was uh one of the projects that um uh that jonathan's brought up to us is pure comedy and it it, Mm -hmm. i mean i'm this is the kind of stuff that i need to listen to to offset lore and alice isn't dead and some of that stuff you can find on earwolf and i found some great podcasts on earwolf the problem is a lot of those podcasts, once they've hit a certain point, you ha- you're now stuck behind a paywall. So if you want to archive uh, or go to the archive of, of this show or that show, that has been like uh, one of my favorites was with, uh, oh, I'm forgetting their names, uh, Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham, the creators of Playing House. And they did this wonderfully improvised series of these two characters that they created. Uh, it was called Womp It Up. And many of the episodes now you can't find unless you get a go past a paywall and join up with a, a premium channel. So obviously there's going to be a lot of blowback that's happening. That's happening right now with uh, one major podcaster. Uh, I shouldn't say podcaster, podcast network, where everything is behind mm-hmm. a paywall. Uh, if you want to have your podcast curated, and I see the common theme in just about every comment when I see them advertised on Facebook. Oh, let's see. I could always uh, go to an archive and pay to listen to these podcasts, or I could go over here and listen to it for free. Yeah, right. that's a real no-brainer. It's yeah. going to be very interesting to see how this moves forward as more and more yeah. podcast networks want to try to become the Netflix of podcasting or to become the Amazon Prime of podcasting. I think it's going to work itself yeah. out. I really do. Yeah. I, I think, you know, like HBO, who would have thought, you know, back in 1986, when HBO was something that my uncle, who was a doctor, and he had a Betamax, like, I didn't, I didn't even grow up with somebody who had HBO. In Maine, <laughs> HBO was for very rich people. And yeah. now HBO is, is cultural literacy. Game of Thrones, The Sopranos, um, oh, yeah. you needed them. You need them to, to be fluent. And now it's Sesame Street. It's like HBO is a thing, and yeah. they've made their model work. They've always been behind a paywall, and they've always been ready to like make people you know, pay for the content. The, the alternative to that is Ira Glass, who is like, no, the people who are going to pay me are the people who are selling ads. 
I am mm. not going to charge the consumer for this. I'm going to charge each of the individual public radio stations. They're going to have to pony up. They're going to have to pay. This is great content. It's awesome. Somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's got to pay for our time, our energy, our e effort, our artistry. And I'm not yeah. going to limit that to just the people who want to listen. It's going to be the middlemen. And there's a, there's a, there's a very strong strain in me that really does believe in that. You know, like it, it's okay for the middlemen to go ahead and shoulder this cost. They'll all pony it on down the stream anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it isn't Wondery considered uh, the Netflix of podcast now? And that's where you guys have your, yeah. your work. Uh, I don't know. Actually, I, they don't uh, like that. They uh, love that true crime, Gimlet, man. Gimlet. Yeah. <laughs> I like Gim Gimlet, I would say. And then there's, you know, there's NPR. NPR last year yeah. uh, admitted that they make more money from all of their podcasts than they do from their, you know, Ooh. global news network. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they did lose Car Talk and Prairie Home Companion in, thank God. Oh. But, you okay. know, like, it, the podcast is, is just a thing and it's more effective because if you can catch... I don't know, a country of 280 million people, if you manage to catch 2 million of them on the way to work with Morning Edition, or mm -hmm. you happen to catch 60 million of them because they can listen whenever they want, that's where all of the money is going to start bubbling and bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And I don't think podcasting gets enough credit for driving the entire economy. Thank you very much. <laughs> 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 oh boy, man! What a spiel that. Uh, well, where can people go to listen to your your projects? I mean, you've got so many yeah, of them. Take it away. All right. <laughs> uh, well, let's start with uh, EC Comics. Obviously, EC Comics Baltimore right now is uh, on various audiobook channels. So, if you're looking for something great to give your family for Christmas, hey, uh, it's right now on Audible. We have it on Apple <laughs> Books. With through iTunes, we have it on Amazon, we have it on Google Play. Uh, we have, uh, let's see, our other productions are on Amazon as well. The productions that we did of Lock and Key and X Files are exclusive to Amazon and Audible. Uh, but you can also find uh, a lot of our other pieces available through uh, Amazon and Audible as well. Uh, Titanium Rain, our first production, Starstruck. And uh, I can also announce that at some point next year, EC Comics Presents The Vault of Horror will be given a second life as a podcast as well, speaking of podcasting. Yeah. So for people who, and, and this is an important, important point to make, uh, important mm -hmm. point to make, there are people who love podcasting but hate audiobooks. And there are people who, hate, who love audiobooks and hate podcasting. Uh, it's just <laughs> a matter of personal taste. So what we're doing is we're providing the same show for every audience, uh, humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Right now, go and get it on iTunes, go and get it off of Audible, and you can listen to the entire first season ad-free. Uh, we will be putting it up uh, in late winter, early spring as a podcast, and you can hear it week after week. So, you know, there are certain, there are two different possibilities out there. Also, we have uh, another podcast, Midnight Matinees, which you can find on Stitcher, and you can mm -hmm. find a cornucopia of our early work under the name Audio Comics Redux, which you can also find on Stitcher. Nice. And what's your website? For Midnight Matinee. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Apologies. Oh, 
Our little, oh, that's okay. My, I was my, wondering my what your main plug. website is. <laughs> that's oh, all good. Go pocketplot.com. Pocket-plot.com. There's a dash nice. in there. Don't miss it. It's pocket-plot.com. The great cool, thing cool. about Midnight right. Matinee, it's, um, it was part of our Black Friday giveaway. You know, you buy one, you get one free. If you sign up or if you, if you buy, get your hands on Vault of Horror anywhere, you can email us at goodstuffatpocket-plot.com and we'll send you uh, Midnight Matinees. And Midnight Matinees happens to be, uh, have in it this tiny little gem that um, our partner Bill DeFries read a poem called um, The Cremation of Sam McGee, which I think is mm-hmm. one of just the underloved poems of our entire generation. It was written, <laughs> well, not even our generation. It was written by Robert Service. It's, it's got all of these things that Vault of Horror people would like. It's got, it's got, you know, lurid ghost tale with a lot of humor and um, a lot of atmosphere. It's a real sense of place. And of course, Bill is a world-class vocal artist. And so mm-hmm. if you, you know, want to get two for one, it's worth it for the cremation of Sam McGee alone. Nice. Well, I, I, you know, in closing, we got some time yet. I like to ask people, especially like yourselves, <laughs> if you have personally experienced anything out of the ordinary, or if you're at least a believer in such things, because, hey, this is the type of broadcast we are. So I got to hear it. Let, let, have you experienced anything, either of you? Let, let's just hear it out. Go, Lance. Well, I guess, uh, I guess I'll go first because I actually did. Um, uh, nice. I, I believe that there is more to this world than what we see. I really do. I, I'm mm-hmm. a strong believer in the afterlife. I don't believe this is all for nothing. And hmm. I do believe in ghosts because I had an experience. Um, when we were recording Lock and Key, and I've never told this to Bill, or Fred, but when we were recording Lock and Key and we were in that underground cavern, well, this particular textile mill back in the 1910s, 1920s, there was a fire there and there were several uh, children who were killed, if I remember the story correctly. There is also the smell of old old threads of old, uh, it's just really nasty down there. And it was getting to be a little much for me. So I went up to get some air and the next level up while they're finishing up uh, recording. And I swear to God, I heard giggling uh, from where I was, the giggle of a little girl. And I looked around and I did not see anything. And then I remembered the fire. And I just thought, oh, Bill, Fred, finish up quickly, please. (laughs) That's horrifying. Oh, my gosh. That's you know that's usually a demon, right? If there's a kid giggling, right? Just so you I know. I did not know that, and I <laughs> wish you hadn't told me that now. <laughs> <laughs> they like to parade around as kids, but I mean, what God do you know? Let's little kids haunt yeah. a location. Yeah, uh, but I grew up with um, I grew up with a lot of uh, British television. I know that uh, British uh, in, in Britain, ghost stories are still one of the most uh, preferred form of entertainment. In fact, I think Christmas Day was a day to tell ghost stories and that's why on the bbc you had the stone tape and uh i think the woman in black before it became the movie with daniel radcliffe there was a really well done adaptation 
of it for uh, for BBC television. But when was it shown? It was shown on Christmas Eve, either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So I've okay. I've come from uh, from that world of British ghost stories. So it it was nothing new to me until I actually heard giggling. Ha! <sighs> that's mine. Yuck! 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 <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it, Jonathan. Uh, well, okay. I'm of two minds about this. Um, uh-huh. but I can stand behind both of them. So at least I got that going for me. Number one is I also come from a certain, uh, you know, British mindset about it all. And, but it comes from the, the, the sort of mindset of British, um, practicalism basically, which is, you know, America's a pretty young country, so I, I think I think the idea that there would be something that was haunted is about as, you know, it's just pretty, it's, all of our ghosts are going to be, you know, at best 400 years old, right? And they're all going to be, <laughs> you know, the ghosts of people that were done wrong. And honestly, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, you go over to England and it, there's a, there's ghosts everywhere. Like, of course there's ghosts. Of course, like you wander around and you're standing on, you know, you wander down to Chichester and you, you walk around the town and there's this stone wall that was built before by the Romans before the birth of Jesus. <laughs> so there's, mm-hmm. there's, right, just, right. there's no question that the world is just teeming with the identity, with the, with the embodiment, with the spirit of all of these things. And then you combine that with this, you know, this, a Native American sort of animist idea that um even this even this this lovely 40 year old chair that i'm staring at right now is it's um you know it's got a lot of life in her she's got a she's got a i've projected so much onto her but there's this other thing there's this other thing and i think this one catches me a lot more is um i feel like my job as a person has everything to do with the people that I meet and the people that we talk to and, and our behavior, it's so important to be governed by this world that we walk through, we talk with, we engage in political discourse with the people that we are with here. Um, It's an important aspect of Sikhism. I was just talking to this beautiful Sikh, and there is no afterlife. It, it really has to do with this is where you are and these are the people that you're with and your conduct now is absolutely everything. And afterlife, whether it is or is not, is and has got to be secondary to how, how I believe we should be with the people that we love and that we're around and the people we don't know. That's... Um, Wow. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, you, you are truly uh, uh, creative because <laughs> that is spoken well, like many of the actors wow. that I know. Is that spoken yeah, like it's a lot like, of holy it, horse garbage uh, that I just <laughs> launched at you like this holy, you that, know, this poop cannon? I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that was really fluffy and a nice dance. I like that. Um <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. I mean, everybody. No, that's what makes uh, this place. It's okay. It's a lot of a lot of different uh, viewpoints, and you know, it, it's. I think that's what makes this life so interesting, and uh, that we all have such different perspectives, and you know, keep it mixing. And 
you know, we pick from life whatever works for us. You know, it, it's like people can take a whole book for what it is or take out little pieces that they want to hone in on or not. And uh, it becomes this little rock we call our lives and and we rock and roll it. You know, it's like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, as long as we could get along, find more that we have in common than our differences. I, I think that's what's most important. <laughs> so yeah, not even I, in common. We had this exchange mm-hmm. student when I was a kid. There's an exchange yeah. student from Spain. It was a very exciting experience to be opened up to all of these different, you know, culture and, you know, different cuts of meat and different ways of speaking. Um, <laughs> Victor was a, he's my brother. He's as, um, as, as close to a, you know, like a, a non-romantic partner that I've ever had. You know, it transcends time mm-hmm. and space. And yet, and yet, <laughs> his hero is Steve Bannon. And he was, a, um, not that there's anything wrong with that, he was recently elected <laughs> to uh, the legislature in Spain, running on a nationalist, conservative, socially conservative, Catholic, and slightly fascist platform. And this, this guy I, I adore, and I just don't know what to make of that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. That's, it is hard. <laughs> we should all That's have the first time I've ever heard that term, fascist, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, like, like, like cute fascist. Right. Like you, That's you funny. You've got a great sense of humor. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, I'm curious with, uh, we got a few minutes here left. And yeah, what is the takeaway that you hope people uh, get to enjoy while they listen to your, your productions? Because they, they span so much and they are so enriched and they really help you dive deep into this world. So what, what is it that you hope that they come away with? Gee, I want to buy another. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's really what I was going to say. This is good. I want to hear more of this because it's yeah. in the United States, we're still trying to break through the noise. Whereas in mm-hmm. the day, audio drama is still very, very much a part of the fabric of everyday society. And it's, it's a lot harder here. Uh, my hope is that, yeah. uh, and I, I echo, I echo Jonathan. I hope you buy more, and not just of our work, but listen to some other uh, of our contemporaries. And you know, Tom Lopez, uh, I mentioned before, is EBS. He's been doing this for God knows how many years now. Maybe since his first production was in 1972, and it was uh, funded by the Jefferson Airplane before they broke up. That's not the reason they broke up, but uh, he's been doing this since 1972, and he's still discovering, or, or I should say, people are discovering him. Um, people are discovering the work that Dirk Maggs is doing, who was Bill's mentor. And uh, he's done some amazing stuff with Neil Gaiman. Uh, I think he's doing another Neil Gaiman piece right now. Uh, but he's done adaptations of Neverwhere and Good Omen before the TV show happened, while Terry Pratchett was still here. And uh, Stardust, there's some amazing material being put out there. Uh, listen to one of our pieces and then Listen to some more of our pieces. And then when you're done with that, go listen to Tom's <laughs> work and go listen to Dirk's work. And yeah. Just know that there's an alternative to, uh, you know, there's an alternative to America's Got Talent. There's an alternative to the Real Housewives <laughs> of, this, of this city. You know, if, yeah. if, if, right. there's, if there's a there's reason an alternative to like, yeah. not to, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Liz. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, I was just going to say that there's, there's an alternative to, the same old repeats. Oh my goodness, we got repeats on television again. I got to wait two more weeks for the blacklist. Well, mm. I can go listen to this <laughs> instead. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, I myself nice. need something to fill the gaps between episodes of The Mandalorian, which is consuming my consciousness right now. But, you know, the thing that we were talking about earlier about how, how audio can, can really stimulate a, a, and engage a part of your brain that is not tapped by reading or watching TV, it's difficult because audio drama actually places even a further demand on on that you you can't let go a little bit you can't you you actually have to stay immersed and that is a challenge that is a challenge that's why it's kind of tough to do on a treadmill like because there you're on the treadmill you're like blah 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 you sweat oh man thirsty don't do that what's happening weather today jesus i'm tired you know like it's it's a little bit different you know and Mm-hmm. That's going to be a thing that we adjust to, but we also, you know, Lance is totally right. We we we're also creating an audience while we're looking for on how to perfect this kind of version of the art form that is fully realized. Like if you could, mm-hmm. if you could listen to the books on tape of of um, I listened to the whole thing of Game of Thrones because uh, well because I didn't have HBO. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> and it was a thing and you could really get into it. But you know what? I would have, I would have totally paid money for just the lightest touch of audio drama, different characters with different voices. So that I didn't hear like a 62 year old man try to pretend to be a nine year old girl again. Right. <laughs> I, I don't need a fully huh. realized audio drama. Sometimes I just need just a little bit, just a little bit. And yeah. I think we're going to find, we're going to find, we're going to get there. There's going to, we're going to meet in the middle. We're going to, we're going to find a way out of pure audio book fiction read by a single narrator with absolutely, you know, only a, a slight nod to what's happening and, and the rest of the opportunities that audio makes. But, right. um, you know, the audio dramas that we throw out there, they are, they're, um, they're fully, fully, fully realized. And they're meant to be immersive it. like that. They're meant to be totally, uh, you know, an aquarium that you swim in. And so, no. you know, we're, we're inventing an audience as we're continuing a really important um, art form. And if you have a chance, go back and listen to the BBC. They did the Diary of Samuel Pepys. And it's an incredibly good example of how to find that balance and how to work with, you know, both audio drama and the narrative and go back and forth mm-hmm. with them. Jane Austen would love be it. another good example, right? Because oh, it's so it. interior, you, you can really narrate that, but you can also stage scenes throughout it. There's music, yeah. there's carriages, there's, there's, um, there's words, but there's also yeah. environment. Cool. Well, and of you course, know, there's I, also I the Hitchhiker's helps... Guide to the Galaxy. The, the Hitchhiker's oh, Guide to the Galaxy, that, perfect example. That, yeah. You can't. Oh, love that. Love that. And, you know, uh, it, I have to say it, it fills the gap for me to listen to something like what you guys put out there uh, when I'm I'm cleaning the house. You know, like I, I want to watch TV, but I really can't. I can't concentrate. I want to listen to music, but if I start listening to music, I'm going to start dancing and I'm going to wear myself down before I finish cleaning the house. So I really <laughs> need to listen to something that'll take me someplace else. And, and I, I mean, I just, uh, you know, unlike driving in Chicago, oh yeah, you, you put on the podcast. <laughs> so 
I, you know, I have to tell you guys, this has been really interesting and fascinating work. I, I haven't had anybody like you guys from the industry. So I really want to thank you for your expertise, your insight, and and love that you delve into the horror genre and a little paranormal. And um, it's, it's exciting. I, I love it. So thank you so much. This has been fun. Well, thank you. Great. Thank you for having us. <laughs> it's been of treat. course. Of <laughs> this has been an absolute blast. Well, you guys, we have come to the bottom. Lance, I would also a... like to take a minute oh, what's to that? thank you. Oh, go ahead. I, I like it. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just thanking Lance. It's just being funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, all I don't right. want a all solid right. bad joke. <laughs> That's okay. I want to thank Bill well, and hope he's feeling better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, my goodness, Bill, I've got the flu, too, and I'm still kicking it. So, hey, I don't understand. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I am kind of sick. I, I really got some kind of cooties. But anyways, you guys, we come to the bottom of another awesome program. Remember, you can catch me here every Monday, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. You've been listening to me, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. Remembering always, if it's weird, we're here. Good night, everybody. From aliens to ghosts. Demons to anchors, and from shadow people to the outlandish, Heidi Hollis is the Outlander. Honey, it's our favorite time of year, and I got you something to celebrate. McRib? It's just what I wanted. Happy McRib season, sweetie. Mm, I love you. I love you, too. Mm. Actually, I was talking to my McRib. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll leave you two alone. Right now, enjoy a McRib meal and get another tasty McRib sandwich for just a dollar. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Honey, it's our favorite time of year, and I got you something to celebrate. McRib? It's just what I wanted. Happy McRib season, sweetie. Mm, I love you. I love you, too. Mm. Actually, I was talking to my McRib. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll leave you two alone. Right now, enjoy a McRib meal and get another tasty McRib sandwich for just a dollar. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.